0: Thank you for listening to a sermon from Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Kenmore, New York. Our senior pastor is Justin Olivetti. To reach Knox Church, please email us at office at knoxypc.com or call us at 716-873-2423. To request prayer, email us at prayerchain at knoxypc.com. Now, let's listen.
1: Stay standing and open your Bibles with me as we read Psalm 19 today. Psalm 19, it's located on page 536 of your pew Bibles. One thing I always like about the Psalms, it's the one book of the Bible we can all find. Just flip, flip open to the middle and chances are you're in a psalm. Psalm chapter 19. Very famous song. I think a lot of us are going to recognize these words here. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God pitched a tent for the sun. It is like the bridegroom coming out of His chamber. Like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins, that they may not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May God bless this reading of his word. Please have a seat. What's the most majestic thing you've ever seen in nature? I love asking people this. Often you get stories of people traveling far away seeing things like the Grand Canyon, Or maybe it was something beautiful and and routine as a multicolored sunset in their backyard of their house. Buffalonians, we're, we're renowned for griping about our long winters. But we have to admit that there's something special about that first great snowfall which transforms the whole area around us into this soft white blanket. It's beautiful. But for me, the most majestic sight I think I ever saw really sticks out in my mind was one day when I was on a fishing expedition with my grandfather. He was a, a commercial fisherman in Florida for a long time, and he'd take us out on a boat with all sorts of assortments of our uncles and aunts. Yeah, I don't know if some of you have this. We had a lot of uncles that weren't really related to us, and they had they had all these bizarre nicknames like Uncle Cooter and Uncle Trigger, and we honestly had an Uncle Popeye, and it's yeah, like Billy, right? As, as kids, we thought that these trips were just the best. Going, getting to go several days out on a boat with your grandfather. We'd have all the bologna sandwiches we could ever eat. And sometimes we would, we would sleep on the deck. And uh, during the day, we'd see him bring up the nets. And we'd see things like sharks and, and jellyfish. And sometimes not in the nets, but we'd see dolphins leaping aside the boat. But one night, I went up onto the deck with my grandfather. He said, Justin, I want you to see this. And he turned out the lights in the boat. And I don't think I've ever been out in just the middle of the water, ocean, where there's no land around you. And there was no light except the stars. And the stars perfectly reflected right off the water. So it was like we were just swimming in a sea of stars. I remember feeling so incredibly small. And for an Olivetti, that's saying something. So, so small in a sea of stars. And I felt like God right then was just showing off his workmanship. It just made me praise God in my heart. If nature is a sign that points to God, and I believe it truly is, then how do we react to that instead of just feeling overwhelmed by it? How do we actually take that that knowledge about God and change how we live? And I think that's what Psalm 19 really wants us to examine today. After all, David was no stranger to nature. You got to consider his occupation. Growing up, David was a shepherd, and shepherds They really had not the best job in the world. They had to stay with the sheep 24-7. So he lived outside. He was with the sheep by day. He was with the sheep by night. So nature was first and foremost on David's mind. He just was surrounded by it all the time. Probably by the time he learned the words of the Torah, of Moses' words, he already knew God from nature. He was deep into God. And in the first six verses here in Psalm 19, we see David exploding with this descriptive and moving knowledge of all these images of God in nature. He's just so enthusiastic about it. He starts it off by saying, the heavens declare, the heavens declare the glory of God. And he's, remember, he's singing this. The heavens declare the glory of God. And for him, just looking around at nature, the evidence of God is transparent. It's, it's everywhere. It's total. It's inescapable. It encompasses everything everything. And in the second verse, he writes, day after day, they pour forth speech. I like that, that image of pouring forth about God's existence and glory. Now, I know we we sometimes gripe here at Knox about some of the the mechanical problems we've had in our church, but that's, let me tell you, that's endemic to every church everywhere. My previous church at Mount Hope, I worked there and. During the week, it's really weird to work at a church during a week because it it's much different than on a Sunday. It's really quiet. But on, on that particular day, I was walking by our little church kitchen, and I heard what sounded like a rushing roar. Never a good sign, right? And the temptation was just to keep on walking. Not my problem. But I turned, I went to the kitchen, and I just heard what sounded like a waterfall from behind the door in our kitchen next to it was the boiler room. I reached out, and I opened that door. And what I saw, I've never seen before. Water was pouring everywhere, off the ceiling, off the pipes. It was gushing up. It was coming down. I didn't know what was happening. And I, I mean, my mechanical knowledge was limited. But my first thought was, something's not right here. <laughs> this is not normally how I, so what had happened was the, the water heater had burst. And it was just gushing. It was pouring water everywhere and had been doing so for several hours, apparently, at that point. And that image of pouring, not just dabbling something, not just lightly pouring a glass of water, but something that's just gushing, a Niagara Falls worth of knowledge is what he's talking about here, what nature testifies about God. It's something that you can't avoid, even if you try, because it's so loud, it's so overwhelming, it's constantly coming at you nature never stops pointing at its creator it never stops not for one minute nobody's excused from acknowledging God because of this there's a giant sign that's pointing to God you can't say well I never saw that sign it's there we call we call nature we have a, a special phrase seminary students like to have giant five dollar words for everything so what we call nature is we call it general revelation it's the way God generally reveals himself to every single person who's ever lived. Paul wrote this about this in Romans 1, He's a little less poetically, but he said the same thing. He said, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen. So he's invisible, he has invisible qualities, but have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse." God is not hiding himself from people. He's not hiding his revelation from anyone. He says it's right in front of our eyes. It's everywhere. It's unavoidable. It's inexcusable for the people who say they deny God. say you can't because it's everywhere. If someone, or perhaps you, have ever said they believe in God, they'd only be given some proof about it. I'll believe if somebody just hands me proof, 100% proof that there is a God. David says, there you go. Nature is your proof. You don't need to go any further from that to see that there's a God. You can go huge in the galaxy-wide arena and see that there is a God who makes huge things. You can go incredibly small down to the atom and see the design and purpose that God put into every single thing he made. You can see the synergies, all of nature. It's just wonderful. Right now I'm teaching our kids at night. We're going through a devotional, and it's all about science. And how science and God go hand in hand. And how nature just points again and again to God. it's just wonderful. And that's what David's saying here. He's saying the universe points to God. And at the very least, we have to acknowledge that he is real. And that he made all of this. But in verse 7, David goes through a bit of a, a transition here. He goes from singing about God's general revelation through all of the things he made to singing about God's special revelation. That's the other side of it. General revelation and special revelation through God's law. See, the Bible, God says, you can can know a lot about me through nature, but you can't know everything. So I'm going to give you this. This is your special revelation. This is how I'm going to teach you about me and what I expect from you. Because when we look at nature, we have a lot of questions like, what is this God who made all this like? What does he want us to do? What purpose does he have for our lives? And that's what the Bible, what special revelation is designed to answer. Now, don't mistake God's laws for being similar to the laws that we make in our country. It's, it's different. We use the word law here, and it can get a little confusing. We see, well, you know, we have laws, don't cross the street. We have laws, don't speed. This is a different category of law. A lot of our laws don't always make sense. I think sometimes we gripe about that. Some laws, we, we take suggestions. There's a website called Dumb Laws. If you're bored, you should look it up. They've compiled all the dumbest laws that have ever gone on on the rule books for our country. And these are all true. Did you know in Connecticut, it is illegal, technically illegal, for a barber to hum while they're cutting your hair? How did that get on the rule books? I have to ask, okay, what about... If you're in Georgia, I'm sorry, but if you're in Georgia today, on a Sunday, it is illegal to carry an ice cream cone in your back pocket. Or in Vermont, women have to get permission from their husbands in order to buy false teeth. Like, where did these laws come from? Who's thinking? And all we're doing is we keep adding more and more laws, and some of our laws are unjust, some of our laws are not perfect. But God's law is perfect. God's law not only is perfect, but it has a purpose. There is a reason behind everything he, he gives us. Because despite what you may believe, God doesn't just give us laws to make us miserable. I used to think that when I was a kid. I'd look at all the rules of the Bible, and I'd be thinking, man, my life would be so much better if I just didn't have these rules. If God just didn't give me so many rules, he just said, do what you want, Justin. Be happy. Be happy. Because that's what the world tells me, right? Do what you want, be happy. Make your own rules. Don't do the rules, God. said. Look at all those rules. They're just there to oppress you, just to keep you down. But the more, as David did, the more I got to know God's law, the more we get to know God's law. It's the reverse. It's true. We get happier the more we follow God's law. We have a purpose the more we study God's law. We see that God's law was there not to restrict us, but to guide us into a better life. A life where we are not regretting the things we did yesterday. All that ice cream we ate without remorse. Yeah, but if I let you eat ice cream every day, all day, you'd get sick of it. You'd get tired of it. You would. You would, absolutely. One of the best verses in the Bible was when Moses wrote this. He says, "These, These are not just words. He wrote this in Deuteronomy. He says, these are not just words, they are life. And that always stuck in my head. They're not just empty words. They are life. They are your life. And that really only really connects. when We start making the connection between God's word and our lives. That these two things are suddenly connected. They're not apart. This is not dead information that I'm giving you every Sunday morning that you take with and go, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. That was a nice sermon, but okay. And I don't read these, during, these words during the week and go, okay, well, what does that have to do with my life? When the light bulb goes off, when you start connecting God's word, God's law to your life, and you see how it works together, how God has this wonderful life planned for you, and this is how he wants to guide you into it, you suddenly go, now I get it. This is my life. And you start rejoicing in it the way David does. Nowhere in this, this Psalm 19 does David go, man, I hate these rules. Man, I wish this wasn't true. Instead, he's rejoicing, he's singing, he's excited. The same sort of excitement he got over singing over nature, he's singing about God's law. We need to realize that this has a positive net result in our life because of it. We become more like Christ the more we follow God's law. But after describing how God reveals himself to us through general revelation, through nature, through special revelation, the law, David then concludes the psalm on a very personal note, how he responds to these revelations. Because again, that's that's the information. He's got all this information about God, but how does he respond? How does he put that into action? How do we put it into action? He has three ways he does this. The first way that David reacts is he finds God's word, his law, as attractive. He's attracted to it. He says this is as sweet as honey, more precious than what? Gold. Gold and honey are two very precious, even today, I mean, we might be able to buy honey pretty cheap, but gold is still very precious, and back then, these were the two incredibly precious things in the country. If you had some gold, you had some honey in your house, you're doing pretty good. But David says, I'd rather get rid of those and grab God's law and keep it close to my chest. That's more desirable. Back then, when Jewish children in antiquity, when they went to school for the first day, usually the rabbi would sit them down, they'd give them two things. He would give them a slate. They didn't have paper back then, so they'd give them a slate to write on. And this slate already had some, some of the rules of God, some of the law of God on those slates. But then the rabbi would come around and he would put a dab of honey on each slate so that the kids could kind of dip their fingers and enjoy some of their uh, nice sweet treat while they, on their first day of school. And what the rabbi was trying to get across to them and try to start teaching them is that the words of God that were on the slate were sweeter than the honey that they were scooping up and putting in their mouth. They were trying to make that connection, you see, between God's word and their lives. When you find God's word sweet, you crave it more. We, we crave sweets. We're, we're, man, we crave a lot of sweets in our society. And it's hard just to eat one chip. It's hard just to eat one spoonful of ice cream. When you, when you enjoy that sweetness, you want a lot more of it. So when you really start to enjoy God's Word, when you suddenly tip over from not really getting it to really getting it, you start wanting to scoop it up in your life more and more. It becomes something where you're excited to open the Word of God in the morning. Where it's not a burden that you go, oh, i got only five minutes to read God's Word. You go, man, I only have five minutes to read God's Word. I've got to cram some of the sin later in, in my day because this is good stuff. David's second response here, is the response to the revelations of God in his life, is then to address the problem of sin in his life because he realized that, that sin was coming between him and God. That was a barrier, and he didn't want that barrier. He wanted to get as close to God as possible. I was just telling a Sunday school class downstairs that we went to the San Francisco Zoo a couple days ago and they have a really cool lion exhibit. And there, it's, you can get very, very close to the plexiglass. And I was about this far away from the lioness. And I'm just looking at how close I was and thanking God that there was that plexiglass right there. David says that plexiglass was sin in his life, and he wanted it gone. He wanted to wrap his arms around God. He wanted to be right there with God because he realized that that sin, that was, just, that was getting in the way. There was one day I was on a youth group trip a long, long time ago, but I wasn't driving. Um, not, okay, I want you to understand, I'm not, this is not a knock against female drivers, whatever I'm going to say next, okay? But there was a female driver, and I was in the passenger seat, and my driver wasn't paying attention, and she turned down the wrong way of a one-way street. Yeah, because all of a sudden we saw a line of cars, four abreast coming right at us. And she screamed... And she jumped the car up onto the median. I mean, that's the only way we could survive at that point. We saw disaster coming right at us. Now, later on, we were laughing about this, and she begged me not to tell her husband. So I put it into a sermon illustration, so here heard about it. So we were laughing about it later, but that image of just disaster coming at you head on and having that, that moment where the heart leaps into your throat. And you go, man, I really wish I had paid attention to the sign. That, hit, that hits you. That hits you so hard. And that's what David's saying here. He says that sin is not a small thing in this life. It's not a little oopsie. It's not, oh, I made a little mistake. He says that's disaster coming right at me. And these signs, the signs of nature, the signs of God's law, they're pointing me away from sin. That's the, the wrong way. I need to get off that wrong way, of going down that one-way street. And I need to get that sin out of my life. I need forgiveness. I need God's help that I can start correcting my course day by day. Finally, his last response to these signs that are pointing to God was by striving to turn his life into a living sacrifice for God. That was his ultimate desire, not to be the best David he could possibly be, not to build a legacy so that everybody would remember the great name of King David. He said, I want to become a living sacrifice. That every day my life is pointing to God too. That when people look at me, they think that guy knows God and he loves God. There was a guy who lived in the early 1800s. Uh, it was a, the King of Prussia, King, King Frederick William the And And at that time, he found himself kind of in big trouble. You see, the country had been in a lot of wars. Wars are costly, and their coffers were empty. They were broke. And they needed to raise some money, so. Frederick William III thought, and he came up with a pretty good idea. He put out a, a call to the country. He said, women, I want you to bring me your gold and your jewelry. Bring, donate those to the, the treasury. And in return, King Frederick William III said, I'm going to give you something. Well, in return, he gave them an ornament. And it was simply made out of iron. Iron was very cheap. Gold and jewelry were not. So I'm going to give you this ornament. But on that ornament, he wrote this. I gave gold for iron, 1813. I gave gold for iron, 1813. So the women would come, and the response to this was actually overwhelming. The crowds turned out. They, they emptied out their jewelry boxes. They took off their, all their gold pieces, and they gave it to their country. And in return, they got these ornaments. And the weird thing was that they prized these ornaments more than their gold and jewelry. Why? Because the gold and jewelry were a sign of their wealth. But this was a sign of a sacrifice. And they put those ornaments right on their mantelpieces. So if somebody came in their house, they knew these people who lived there made a sacrifice for their king. And they were proud of it. And they wanted people to know that they sacrificed. When we come to our king, as David did, we exchange some of the former treasures of our life for something that's far greater. When you're a living sacrifice, you are sacrificing something. You're giving up something. Maybe you're giving some of your money, some of your time, some of your energy, some of your attention. You're giving up your sins, your former treasures, things you really held dear, things you loved. When we passed out the plates earlier, some of you put things in that plate that were your former treasures, that you could have taken and done anything else with, but you gave it to God as a sacrifice. When you go out from this church, hopefully you will become a living sacrifice for Him. That every day you live for God. You strive to do things that will please Him. You strive to follow His law. You strive to tell other people about God. You strive to forgive instead of condemn. You strive to love instead of hate. You strive to show compassion instead of remorselessness. Every day that you live for God is a day that you are a living sacrifice. and What He gives you back is something you can be proud of. It's not an ornament. But your life will store up so many good things in heaven. And he will put a crown of glory. And he will say to you those words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Your life became a living sacrifice for me. And that's not a sacrifice that will be in vain. All of the signs, both of nature, the Bible, of all of our lives, point to a magnificence, almighty, creative, amazing God who desires to have a personal relationship with us. These are signs that point us on the way to having that. We can ignore those signs, but when we respond, our lives become changed. They become changed for the better. So this week, start thinking of yourself, not as Justin, not as Linda, not as Julia, not as Tim. Think of yourself as I am my Lord's living sacrifice. What can I give for God today? What can I do for God today? Something that will make him happy and something that will make him proud because look at all he's given me. Why can't I give him a little bit back? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I think it's a dangerous thing to pray to become a living sacrifice because we're praying that you change our lives and that may be a very uncomfortable thing that may be a scary thing for us. But Lord, we just ask today that you would encourage us through these words of this psalm to acknowledge that you exist, that you have a plan and purpose for our life, and that, Lord, we can become living sacrifices for you. I pray this with our whole heart, Lord, knowing that we will fail you, that we will still let sin come in the way, but, Lord, that you will help us out of your graciousness and your love to train us up to become more Christ-like, day by day. And all God's people said, Amen. David walked close with God, so too may we. Now receive the benediction. If you'd like an elder to talk with or to pray over you, come up after the service. We're here for you tonight. From Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory, with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen.
0: Go in peace. Thank you again for listening. It is our sincere prayer that today's message has brought you closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We welcome you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m can also audio stream our full service. Details can be found at our website. Our church is fully wheelchair accessible and loop enabled for the hearing impaired. For a full schedule of activities and more information on our beliefs, visit our website at www.knoxepc.com or call our church office at 716-873-2423.